everyone, it's Anna from a lighthearted heavy podcast. On today's episode, Christine and I discuss my 21 year long battle with an eating disorder. So needless to say, this is one of the heavier topics that we discuss. As usual, if you feel triggered by anything mentioned in this episode or are currently struggling with your mental health, we encourage you to reach out to a mental health professional or contact Lifeline Australia for immediate support. I mentioned some eating disorder resources at the end of this episode, and if you look in the podcast notes, you'll also find them listed there. And just a heads up, this is the first time I've spoken publicly about my eating disorder, so if my voice is a little off, please forgive me, I was very nervous. And just as a side note, there may be a bit of background noise at one point. I have very noisy neighbours, so if you could ignore that the best you can, thank you. That's pretty much all you need to know. I would say enjoy the episode, but it's a pretty heavy one, but it's a good one, so I guess enjoy does still count. Um, yeah, please enjoy the episode. So today's podcast is a topic that is very close to my heart. Um, literally, it nearly stopped it. Eating disorders! <laughs> I told you I had a good opening for this. <laughs> um... What we are talking about today is based off my experience, my experience with professionals, things that they have told me, my experience in as a day patient in hospital, and my conversations that I've had with other people with eating disorders. So do your own research. If any anything that is said is triggering or you think that maybe you might be suffering from this or someone you know and love is suffering from this, there are a bunch of resources which I will say at the end of the podcast, plus I'll put up even more in the podcast notes. This is not something that should just be left alone because it will not go away by itself. But it can go away, which is the big thing. So I'm going to explain what it is first. It's a mental disorder. It's an offshoot of an anxiety disorder. It's often comorbid, so it's in conjunction with OCD, with anxiety, chronic anxiety, PTSD. It's a form of control, which is ironic because you lose control over your mind while you're fighting to gain control over your body. There are different types of eating disorders, so a lot of misinformation is that it's just, oh, they look really skinny. That's not it. So you have anorexia nervosa, which is characterized by weight loss, restricted eating, sometimes over-exercising. That's what I had several times. Um, that is the one where, you know, the can look incredibly skinny, but at the same time, bodies are different. So what's going on externally, you may have no idea what's actually going on, on internally. So if someone even, like, someone still looks per- perfectly healthy to you, you actually have no idea what's going on. And that is a big, big lesson from this podcast. Mm. There's bulimia, which is a cycle of binging and then compensatory behaviours. I couldn't say nervosa, so Christina's laughing <laughs> silently at me. Um, compensatory behaviours such as self-induced vomiting um, to undo the eating. It's binging disorder. It's where you have reoccurring episodes of eating large quantities of food, often very quickly. And then often with feelings of shame and guilt afterwards. That is actually the most common eating disorder in the US. Thank you to the ADAA. Thank you for that. Yeah. But then there are other specified feeding and eating disorders. 
so the ones that I previously mentioned, they are part of the diagnostics manual. They are the ones that are covered by Medicare. Um, but then there are a lot of these other ones which are part of disordered behavior, which is often to do with evidence of the previously mentioned ones, but they're not they're not considered intense enough to actually be quali- to qualify for that, which I think is kind of fucked in itself. Mm. And that's why I you know, I'll get into it a bit later with the healthcare system, but that in itself is a fucking joke to get through. Mm. Avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, AFRID. 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 There we go. Almost like afraid. (laughs) Similar to anorexia, but it doesn't involve any distress about body shape or size or fears or fatness. It's more about they just don't eat enough food. It's like incredibly restrictive eating um, that leads to the same kind of outcome as, you know, not consuming enough calories to grow and develop properly. Mm. And like for kids and in adults to maintain basic body function. I mean, a lot of these are also comorbid within themselves. I've been diagnosed with anorexia several times throughout my life. Never never into bulimia. I tried it a couple of times, but I hate throwing up. Mm. Avoidant restrictive food intake is... I mean, there's still remnants of that that I'm dealing with. Mm. There's one called the rumination disorder, which involves regurgitating of the food. So you eat the food. And then you either re-chew it or re-swallow it or spit it out. It's like getting the taste of something but not actually consuming it. Mm-hmm. And the biggest one, I think, is the most common one anyway, is body dysmorphic disorder, mm. which is a mental illness characterized by constant worrying over perceived or slight defect in appearance. I think this is the most prevalent one. Mm. I think this is the gateway disorder to the other stuff. What it isn't, though... It's not about outward appearance. So I had an experience the last time, which is only end of last year, where I was classified anorexic again. And I had a couple of comments on a picture of my body, but also in person when I told people what was going on. The response was, but you look great. You know, you look healthy. And it's like, it's not about what you see on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's like anxiety or high functioning depression. You can't tell the state of someone's mental or physical health by looking at them. Mm-hmm. You actually have no idea what someone's going through unless they choose to disclose it. Mm-hmm. So being really, really skinny is not the only criteria for an eating disorder or being really, really big. And it's just like being heavier does not mean that you are unhealthy. It depends on the person's psychology behind why their body is the way it is and their internal health. So like I said, there's um, a picture of me at Rottenest that I took when I was, I think around my lowest, it was the breaking point for me. Mm. So I'm not going to go into weights because that's just not helpful whatsoever. It depends on the BMI. Mm. Some people have a heavier bone structure, bigger bone structure, the taller, the shorter, whatever. So it changes what someone's incredibly tiny is depending on all these different things so bmi is body mass index and it's the way that they go about it in hospitals to figure out where someone sits the lowest end that's considered healthy enough is a bmi of 20 and that's the lowest end in hospital that is the point that they're looking for as a base Mm -hmm. when i was at rotnest my bmi was 18.5 and I, yeah, I received comments about 
but you look so healthy. You look great. My internal organs were so depleted. Mm. My heart was in so much trouble. You just don't know. You and there's some... get up without being dizzy most of the time. Yeah. There? there were so many symptoms. Mm. And people who live in heavier bodies, they can be perfectly healthy. There are so many factors to the way someone is built that has nothing to do with diet or exercise or anything. It's just, it's genetics. It's, mm. it's how we are. I'll get into that in a minute because, like, that whole thing from society is does my fucking head in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any questions at this point? Hmm. I think my, one of my biggest questions was what pushed you towards getting help for it. And I know you were at your lowest point, mm. like you said, around the time of that photo. Mm. And it can be fucking hard to want to change having a de- eating disorder. So I suppose, like, what was the part that was like, I want to get better? Mm. I'll answer that in a second. Because mm-hmm. I want to explain a bit of what it's like. Yeah. Psychologically. Mm-hmm. So you can understand a bit more how it got to that point yeah um i've written down it's like having a demonic gremlin living inside your head and it's directing your every decision so it's like you're sharing your brain with something else Mm. and the less food you consume means the less space you have for your own part of your brain Mm. it's a living hell it Mm. really is i wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy it's the most psychologically abusive piece of shit Mm -hmm. that you'll ever encounter it's like it's consistent and it's relentless in saying the worst things that you could think of that you would never say to another person, but it's constantly on loop in your head. Mm-hmm. And it affects, like, I remember when I was my first proper boyfriend when I was 15, and you know, I, I started I, you know, developing this. I remember the first time I went on a diet, I was 12. Mm. I had people over and were watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And we had all this junk food out as a sleepover. And I remember looking at Susan Sarandon in that movie and going, she's fucking gorgeous. Why don't I look like that? Mm. And then going, okay, I'm not eating this shit anymore. So when I was 15, I had this boyfriend. He was so lovely, very argumentative. He went on to become a lawyer, which makes sense. (laughs) But I remember sitting on the couch with him and moving my body so it was like facing him so and sitting upright so you couldn't see any bulges anywhere mm-hmm. and i was so uncomfortable the entire like two three hours we were sitting there but i just had to stay there mm. you know you wear certain clothes to cover certain areas there's a lot of a lot of people with anorexia nervosa wear baggy clothes because also we get cold a lot <laughs> mm. i used to sing i used to want to be a music theater performer that was my goal above everything else but I was not able to sing properly because I was constantly holding in my stomach. Mm. And it wasn't until I got to acting school in 2013 that I had to relearn how to breathe properly. Mm. And that's like, Jesus Christ, like performing was my entire life. And then, but that was still higher priority. Mm. It's like it limits, limits dinner options. Family dinners are always a nightmare. Mood dives, constant preoccupation. You can't really, you know, when you're in the thick of it, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and this is coming from someone, you know, who's had anorexia, plus restrictive eating, plus 
bad body dysmorphia plus all this other shit. Mm. It just it affects your entire life. It's you're either thinking about what you're about to eat or feeling guilty about what you have eaten mm. or then constantly focus on okay, I need to go to the gym and then you end up spending like two, three hours at the gym. Mm. And then not eating afterwards because, like, well, I don't want to undo my good work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's massive, causes massive social anxiety. And it's it's just easier to isolate because then you can control everything. Yeah. Nothing's ever good enough. Mm. Even when I was physically at my smallest, when I was 16, which is when I was first technically diagnosed with anorexia, my BMI was 18. I couldn't see it. I still couldn't see it because the way my body is built when you face when I'm standing face on I've got my I've got an hourglass shape so I've got wider hips and stuff it wasn't until I turned on the side that you could actually see how skinny I was mm. but you still can't even see it and like when in November last year when I was at my smallest again like I knew how small I was I knew what size clothes I was fitting I knew I knew I'd gotten to that point again mm. and the whole thing with anorexia is you know, you think you're going to get to this point of, okay, when I get there, that's it. Mm. That's, I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to whatever. You can get there, physically get there. And your brain's just like, I'm fucking miserable. What Mm. the fuck is going on? So that brings me to your question. Like I said, I've had this since I was 12. I remember having these thoughts even before that though. Mm. I remember seeing Bring It On at Greater Union before it closed down in the city. I remember going to the $2 shop across the road, looking in the mirror and just thinking, what the fuck? Why don't I look like that? Mm. I would have been 10 or 11. So when I was first diagnosed and I had to get help, the only reason I got help is because I was one of the leads in the musical next year and my drama teacher, who was the only reason I went to school, he found out and he threatened to take the role away from me if I didn't get help. Mm. I got help again when I was at acting school and that was only because I kept falling asleep in class mm-hmm. and didn't have enough energy to get through the day. This last time, I think it's the lowest I've ever gotten. And I think it's a different cognitive level as well. I've acknowledged I've had an eating disorder for years, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for me to go, yeah, it's not that, it's not a big problem though. I've seen a lot of therapists and every time they tried to touch on it, I'd get really defensive and shut it down and focus on something else. Mm. And it wasn't until we started doing a counseling course where it's a lot of self-reflection, a lot of everything. That was the first time I went, oh, this is a huge issue. And if I want to become a counselor, I need to get past this. Mm. I started to inquire into them, but it wasn't until November, the year before last, when I was walking on a treadmill and my heart rate got up to 220 and was about to fucking stop. Mm. That was kind of the first part of it. And then life just got really busy with uni and I went through um, the end of a relationship. I don't know, something happened. I was just like, it was still avoidant, but it was also like, okay, I know that I need to put on weight. Uh, Alcohol is calories. I'll just go drink. But what happened there is I did drink a lot, but I didn't eat. Mm. When it got time to being admitted to hospital, I don't think I was supposed to see my my doctor's letter about my intake, but I did. 
and she described it as periods of binge drinking without eating. And I was like, but that, oh, mm. no, that's exactly what that was. Oh, shit. So the alcohol mixed with not eating enough plus a lot of unsettled childhood trauma mm-hmm. just meant that my my brain just, I hit rock bottom at the start of November after a friend's birthday party. And I remember sitting in the shower at like 3 a.m., drunk off my ass, just depressed as hell. That was rock bottom. We went to Rotnest about a week after that, and that got even worse because I, I honestly, I wanted to die. Hmm. I didn't know how it was possible to get through this. I didn't know how things were going to change because it's, it'd been like this my whole adult life. Hmm. And, you know, people ask you, you know, what, what were your favorite food, foods before this? And, like, I don't fucking remember. Hmm. Like, it's... It's been that long. Yeah. So that was, that was really it. Um, on Rotnest, we rode our bikes a lot. We ended up riding for, like, two hours up and down hills to get to this beach on the other side of the island. I didn't eat all day because massive anxiety on top of everything else. Mm. And then by the time I did eat for dinner at like 9pm, I couldn't eat because I got full really fast. I was just a fucking wreck on that trip. I, I'm, I think I ruined the trip for the other people there. And I just thought, how I don't know how to fucking do this anymore. Mm. So fortunately, the next day when we got off the ferry... I went straight to a therapist appointment at um, the eating disorder center that I go to. And it's the first time I've cried in therapy. Mm. She just said, I think it's time. You need extra support. I think it's time to check out a hospital. Mm. So this was around Christmas. December was coming up. So we inquired and I got into the day program. And I started that, I think, the next week. In my intake, the nutritionist basically said, you technically should be an inpatient. Mm. So that was really it. It was just, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And it wasn't, I didn't have any hope that there was, that it would change, mm. but I was curious mm-hmm. because I couldn't live like this anymore. So, okay, what else is there? Mm. Something else has to happen. So I'll explain a bit more about how the hospital program works and I'll explain about, medicare rebates and everything like that because it's it's really good it is really good but the criteria for it it's kind of fucky yeah so in order to get the medicare rebate you have to basically do it like a quiz and tick off how fucked up you are Mm. (laughs) and like even for i heard for the for the bulimia one and the binge eating one it has to be a period of three months that it's been consistent Mm. but i'm like that's that's leaving it then for three months to prove that this is bad enough. And then it could be too late. Exactly. By the time that's over, you could have had a heart attack already. Exactly. Yeah. That's in itself a bit shit. But mm-hmm. you, there is, in Australia, there is, um, I think it's a 20 or 40 session, 40 session in the end uh, rebate that you get for psychiatrist, psychologist, and I'm pretty sure for a dietitian. Which is a lifesaver because this shit costs a lot of fucking money, mm. which is really unfortunate because um, I know a lot of people do need the help. But luckily there are resources, which I'll say at the end, which does provide some kind of support mm. in the interim. Um, so the way the hospital program works, for really extreme cases of anorexia, 
there is a locked ward. Basically, you are confined to a bed with feeding tubes mm. and you're not allowed to move because you need to put the weight on. You're, you're that depleted that it's, it's a risk to move. Mm-hmm. After that, then you go to the inpatient program, which is a section of the hospital where you stay at, I think a minimum, they look at a minimum of six weeks. Mm. It's basically just a more confined version of that, the day program. I'll explain the day program in a second. Um, so the inpatient, you get visitors at certain times during the day, but you have to get permission to be signed out. And I don't think you're allowed that in the first six weeks. Mm-hmm. Some people that I've met have been there for about three months, varying levels of time and a bunch of different factors. A lot of repeat visitors as well. The day program is four days a week. You have Wednesday and the weekends off as like, okay, go out into the community, practice these skills you're learning. You're provided a nutritionist, you're provided with nurses, with exercise physiologists, a whole bunch of resources, psychiatrist. We have to eat three meals in five and a half hours. So breakfast, lunch, plus this morning tea. Everything is compulsory. You can't leave anything on the plate. There are a lot of fear foods chucked into that. There are deliberate like social eating and that kind of thing. Once was we had to eat pizza for lunch, which I know for a lot of people. I told some. I think I told you that, and you're like fucking yum. Mm. I'm like no, this is this is pretty fucking horrible. It is brutal for someone who doesn't mm-hmm. actively want to eat pizza or eat in general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I've seen grown women cry it's over sad. having to eat this stuff. Mm. And if you don't eat it and refuse to eat it, you have three three chances pretty much. Yeah. And if you use up the three, then you have to go away for a while, reconsider things and come back. Otherwise, they have a nurse that sits with you and waits for you to finish until you can leave. It's it's fucking hard. It's I think I think it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um you're physically so drained by the end of the half day because you're you're organs your internal organs are finally working properly again Mm. so that takes up a bunch of energy and then because that's burning energy you often have to have supplements on top of the food which are just fucking gross Mm. it's like a mixture of a protein shake a really shit protein shake mixed with medicine Mm. and then during the day in between meals you just sit around and we'll have someone come in talk to us about something in between the first two and the summon after that and then we'll go through our food logs and talk about you know preparing for the next day or something like that um there's a lot of self-esteem work that we look at a lot of reasonings to get better and and then at the same time i'm seeing my own therapist on the outside so i was there for six weeks all up and i kind of i made a promise to myself to never go back there mm. because I said to the nurses, like, you guys are great, but fuck this place. Mm. I'm not coming back here. And it was weird because when I left, body dysmorphia kicked in really badly. Mm-hmm. I think that that little fucking gremlin in my brain was, like, just trying to grab onto something. Mm. Even when I first started going there, it's like a half an hour walk from my place. I was, like, walking that plus a bit extra to and from there. Mm. Which completely fucking defeats the purpose of going to this place. There's just a lot of... Like, because my, my deal has become... Was chronic exercise. Not chronic exercise. Um, compulsive exercise. And restrictive eating. 
so even now it's still like it's, it have to, it's so much energy to focus on to catch those thoughts and to actually hear what is being said to you mm. and when you're that starved from food lack of food you can't have any fucking control over it mm. so everything just becomes like you're like a shell of a person with this fucking gremlin living in your head mm. directing your life um any questions mm. i'm talking a lot no it's really good like it's not good that you've been through it but it's really good to to hear about it um i'm not really sure it's a tricky one um because it's like it's just such a big thing mm. it's uh, it's really hard <laughs> well that's that's been the issue with it when i was first diagnosed when i was 16 there was no there was no hospital to go to mm. like exercise physiology specific for eating disorders that wasn't developed until 2018 mm. all of these resources just did not exist i was sent to an, a nutritionist where i was force fed which you know that's the usual thing and i was recommended by the family doctor as psychologist mm. was not the right fit mm-hmm. did not know how to deal with eating disorders I think it'd be beneficial to have an episode of on therapy and finding mm. the right therapist because there are some really shit ones out there. Yeah. But when you find the right ones, it's a fucking lifesaver. Yeah, definitely. And I remember I spoke to someone who has been through this himself and they're younger than me by a few years, maybe around your age. Mm. But when they went through this, there was no hospital or anything. They were put in with the cancer patients. Yeah at a hospital because there's no resources for it. Mm. And even now, the research in it, there's a lot more of it. Mm. And now there are actually eating disorder centers that you can go to that and therapists that specialize in this. Yeah. It is so complex. Mm-hmm. It is so multifaceted yeah. that it's really difficult to mm. teach how to deal with it. Which in a way is disappointing. Yeah. Because it's like... How fucked is it that you can't just go to your normal therapist and they're well-equipped to deal with it? Like, I saw therapists and they're great therapists. They're amazing. Mm. But I was going through a period where I was like, I don't give a fuck about anything to do with myself because I'm not skinny enough. Mm. And then he was like, all right, well, then tell me all the things you do like about yourself. And he wrote them on the board. And I was like, I appreciate what you're doing here. Mm. That's great. But it doesn't fucking matter because I am not skinny enough yeah which is complete bullshit like you should never have to be skinny enough or look a certain way for to be able to live your life but it's also skinny enough for what what's the parameter knows fuck knows (laughs) i get that that's how i lived you know i used to be in the acting industry and Mm. it was and we definitely will have a separate podcast about this Mm. but you're comparing we are comparing ourselves Mere mortals are comparing themselves to these celebrities yes. who themselves very most likely have eating disorders yeah. or they're paid to work out intensely for a role mm-hmm. and they use Photoshop. Yeah. Especially like when we grow up in the 90s, 2000s mm-hmm. and the media were fucking savage. Yeah. You know, someone has a bad photo and it's the front page of a fucking magazine. Yes. On Saturday. And it's like just a normal looking human being that looks great and it's like, she's put on weight. <laughs> like, and have you heard of angles? Yeah. Like, 
It's yes. infuriating. And like yep. some of these celebrities that undergo intense workout periods, they have a professional team working alongside them. They have nutrition nutritionists helping them alongside them. Mm-hmm. And they don't look like that 365 days of the year. Yep. It's not possible. If your body is not built in that way, mm. it's not possible. Mm. It's like, you know, you try on a, you try on a shoe and it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. You go to the size that fucking fits. You don't try and jam your foot into it. Mm. It's just it you don't blows destroy your mind. foot to fit the criteria of a size exactly. five shoe. <laughs> and these standards, honestly, they're set by a fucked up industry run by a lot of pedophiles, mm-hmm. and they idolize preteen bodies. Yeah. The realization that I had going through this at the hospital was, why am I trying to starve myself to look like a teenager? Mm. That's disgusting Mm -hmm. and fucked up. And I've had my own experience with a pedophile. Why would I want to play into that? Yeah. And then because it's such a prevalent thing throughout any fucking generation Mm -hmm. that even family members and whoever will be like making comments on it throughout your life too. Like, oh, you know, why have you put on weight? And it's kind of like you start to base your worth around that because it's coming from so many different places. Never comment on someone else's weight. No. Ever. You have no idea what they're going through. Mm-hmm. I even think about you know, Chadwick Boseman. He lost a lot of weight before he died, but people didn't know that he had cancer. Mm. And they're like, was he on drugs? What the fuck is he doing? <laughs> He's yeah. dying. Yeah. I just, mm. like, going back to anorexia, you literally your internal organs shrink. Mm-hmm. Your heart shrinks. Mm. Your heart is placed under that much stress that it can stop mm. at any moment. Mm-hmm. Mine nearly did. And that is fucking terrifying to think of. But when you're in this mindset, it's not real. It doesn't, mm. oh, it's not going to happen to me because I'm not that skinny. Mm. Like, it doesn't fucking matter what's going on out there how you look it's inside yeah yes i keep remembering a question i have for you and then i forget it almost immediately (laughs) and it's doing my fucking head in (sighs) i'll remember it is the one you wrote down no (laughs) that's why it's like fuck yeah so i had a um an appointment with my therapist yesterday she um she set up her eating disorder clinic. She also specializes in trauma. So without going too much into it, part of the reason my eating disorder developed was a product of childhood trauma. Combined with being raised in the 90s and looking at Hollywood movies and TV shows and thinking, that's it, that's what life is. If I look like that, everything will be perfect. Mm-hmm. She asked me a couple of questions because it's actually gotten to the point where she's like, you're doing it. You're doing what you set out to do. Mm. I mean, I'm still recovering. There's still a chance of relapse. There's always a chance. Yeah. But I feel a lot more confident now that I'm in the space that I'm not going to let that happen because mm. it's, it's too much is at risk. Mm-hmm. And I fucking love going to the gym. I love lifting heavy shit mm. and thinking I'm swole as fuck. I mean, the reality is I do have the bone structure of a 12-year-old. I fit 12-year-old clothing because, you know, I'm part Cantonese. 
And also I had an eating disorder when I was going through puberty. That mm-hmm. fucks things up. <laughs> mm-hmm. She asked me, what have you learned from the eating disorder? And what have you learned about yourself from it? Mm-hmm. What I've learned from the eating disorder, childhood trauma, unresolved trauma can lead to so many different maladaptive coping mechanisms. Mm. I went to an eating disorder. Some people go to alcohol. Some people go to drugs. Some people go to sex. You know, the whole, there are so many different ways. Mm. But you kind of have to look, while they're, they're all their own separate thing, they're all based on the same thing. Mm. They're all coping mechanisms. Mm. So I think that is a huge thing when you have a loved one who has an eating disorder any type of eating disorder, or even if you have an eating disorder, to start looking at, okay, why is this here? Mm. Because it's not actually about how you look. Mm-hmm. It's about what you're trying to fix or control in your brain to make things feel better. Mm. And the other thing, though, you know, what have you learned about yourself from it? I'm fine as I am. You know, this thing happened when I was eight. Anyway, a bunch of stuff happened when I was eight. It was a shit year. Mm. But I hid I hid myself away to keep myself safe. Mm. And I initially saw it as I died. That part of me died. Mm. And my want through this was to get her back, to be that person again before all the shit happened. Mm. And I found her again. I am that person again. Yeah. And she's fucking, she's fine. She's weird as fuck and it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's... I think for anyone who is questioning themselves, questioning their own self-worth, why? You have to ask yourself why. Don't get dragged into the narrative on loop in your head Mm. because it's bullshit. It's there for a specific reason. It probably started as a reason, as something to keep you safe from whatever was going on. But now you don't need it anymore and it's turned into this fucking gremlin and you have to ask yourself, why is it there? Mm. The other thing I have is what I wish people knew about eating disorders. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. It's living hell. Mm. Beauty standards have been set by a very fucked up patriarchal idea which stems from very sick individuals who idolize teen bodies. Mm. Or for males who idolize cartoon depictions of superheroes. They're not human. Mm. They are superheroes. And these actors who transform their bodies to play these superheroes, that is a team of professionals guiding them through it. This is literally the job they are paid for. Mm. And so many of these these actors develop their own body dysmorphia because they don't look like that in normal life. Yeah. Not everybody is made to fit a size six. Your body is your body, Mm. and it does fucking amazing things. This is a mental disorder, and it's it's a way to cope with life. So treat it like it's a mental disorder. Mm. Uh, Anorexic weight loss isn't just about losing body fat. It shrinks the heart, shrinks the internal organs. Um, I saw a scan of a, a, a brain that has gone through childhood trauma, like consistent, ongoing childhood trauma. Mm. It actually their brain is shrunk mm. because it's it's so you become tunnel visioned mm, the and, development yeah and it's restricted. all about like am i safe it's survival mode mm. so you have that brain and then you have a starving brain on top of that mm. you have no fucking control over your thoughts mm. 
you're a prison in your own mind. Yeah. Like I said, never ever comment on another person's body. You have no idea what they're going through. And you also have no fucking right to judge. Mm. Don't be that person. Mm-hmm. Be kind to yourself and to your body and stop comparing yourself to other people. Mm. We are the people that we were born to be. Mm. That's it. Stop trying to manipulate it and value and appreciate what you have. Mm. Because your body is doing fucking incredible things. I don't know how my body is still working. Mm. I put it through hell. And it's still here. I'm like, thanks, dude. You're amazing. <laughs> um, if you're hanging around with others who value your appearance more than your personality, find new friends. And the other thing that I, I like to think is WWMDT. What would my dog think? Mm. Your dog loves you no matter what and just wants you to be happy. That's a good friend. Mm. That's the type of people you should be hanging out with. And that's all I have. How do you feel listening to all of that? Good. Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Good. There's still always going to be parts in um, someone's mind, I think, that's not in a place where they can work on it, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, it, it took me... 20 years definitely yeah so hearing stuff like value the parts that you have can Mm. be really tough yeah to do sometimes 100 percent. and then it means so much more hearing it from someone who's struggled with it Mm. for such a long fucking time it's like inspiring even though you know that it can be fucking hard Mm. it is still doable it is it's a fucking struggle and a half and it Again, it could fucking kill you going mm-hmm. through the disorder. But that's why you get the help. That's why you find the resources and the strength to go through with it, to keep going. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't even know if it was possible. I wasn't sure if, if recovery was ever possible. Mm. I just thought people were kidding themselves. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't go into getting help because I thought it was possible. Mm. But I was curious because you, know, you hit rock bottom you want to get out you do whatever you can to get out definitely and unfortunately it takes a lot of people hitting rock bottom to just go okay it's either die or live yeah that's it Mm. and i feel like too many people struggle with it Mm -hmm. it's something that shouldn't have to happen (laughs) like how fucked is it but yeah i resent society Mm. For what it's done to people's brains, to kids' brains. Yeah, definitely. And it's also difficult because when you're seeing, like you said, growing up in the 90s, for Mm. me it's growing up in the early 2000s where that skinny is like what is important Mm -hmm. in a woman. And it's like those cartoon depictions again, it's Mm -hmm. not real. But when you're a child and you see fucking Jessica Rabbit (laughs) and how much attention she gets Uh and how i guess wanted she Mm -hmm. is it is also then difficult to discern like when you get older what is achievable and what's not Mm -hmm. and it's like being someone who is attracted to men and women Mm. i'm like fuck yeah that's hot as fuck and then grow up knowing how how fucking unattainable it is Mm. to be like that and how unrealistic it is Mm. but then still seeing pictures and stuff of women and and just like 
again, celebrities and shit mm-hmm. being like, fuck yeah. It's so hard to switch between the two. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so fucked. And it's frustrating because it's like, can we just stop? Like, yeah. <laughs> being really skinny or being or looking like those pictures in the magazine first of all like i said they're photoshopped mm-hmm. especially 90s 2000s even now it still is but people are calling it out more mm. but there are some celebrities who still you can see the background is wonky where they've tried to like mm. pull something in mm. I'm like you were supposed to be role models mm. will you fucking stop it yeah. reaching that that goal of looking like that mm. it doesn't make you more valuable as a person mm-hmm in my experience, it made me fucking miserable mm. and it isolated me. What standard am I trying to... Who am I trying to impress? Mm. No one actually values you more because you look like that. Yeah. I certainly didn't value myself at all. Mm. So it's not going to magically grow because, you know, all of a sudden you fit a size, whatever. Certainly. As a friend, what would you have liked to have known while I was at my lowest last year with the eating disorder? Things that me and other people were doing that were helpful and Mm -hmm. things that we were doing that were unhelpful okay i guess that goes into your other question the unhelpful things someone can say and do Mm. um with someone with an eating disorder like i've mentioned but you look great you look so healthy Mm. goals Mm -hmm. like cool is dying a goal Mm. wicked then try it Mm. um any comments on the food we eat how we eat it even if you think it's an encouraging comment like oh you're eating so much Mm. fuck no just don't say anything don't bring attention to it like it's their own personal thing that they're dealing with Mm. uh like i said in general don't comment on someone else's appearance Mm. (laughs) no my favorite one every person with an eating disorder's favorite one have you tried eating (laughs) bruh i'm gonna fucking deck you if you ever say that to me yeah Those are the main ones. It's hard because I had to cut out a couple of people who I think are fantastic people and I do want them in my life. Mm. But during that time, I had to cut them out because they were struggling with their own issues with this stuff and they didn't know how to control it. And every conversation, not every conversation, but it was a, you know, it was a huge thing in their life. And another person that would make these comments about Oh, like the girl walking past wearing that skirt that shouldn't be wearing that skirt with the legs she has. Mm. I'm like, you were, you were talking to someone with an active eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I didn't it's like, No, but you said it. Mm. And that judgment, where is that coming from? And it's not fucking helping. Yeah. It's those little things. And I think it's more like a, you know, why, why are you saying it? Mm. What's going on with you? Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, that's the biggest things for me. In terms of helpful, just... People wanting to know about it. Mm. People wanting to understand it. And, you know, I had some friends actually doing some research. Mm. Just checking in. And, yeah, it, it helps a lot to know that you're not alone through it. Because it does feel so isolating. Like Going into the day program, I've never been surrounded by that many people with an eating disorder before. Mm. And it was, kind of, it was kind of nice in a way because it's like, finally, I can say stuff and not have to explain it. We get it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, feeling supported is a huge one. Mm. But I think that's the same with any kind of disorder when you get to that point where you do want to get help. Mm. Um, but it's a long fucking road to get to that point. Mm. Is there anything you'd like to know about where I'm at now? I think 
like when you're talking about recovery and how relapse is like part of recovery I think how to tell if you are or if you do slip into like a relapse and how to check in about it without Mm. it coming across as unhelpful yeah it's a really tricky one I think I'd be a lot more receptive to it now so I remember when I first got back from acting school there's been a couple of times in my life where I have put on a bit of weight and when I came back from acting school I got a personal trainer I mentioned to a friend like you know my background and I was like can you just say something if you see I'm getting too skinny Mm. of course I got carried away with it Mm. I've had two personal trainers in my life both times you you start with the shredding part so you cut down on what you're eating Mm. and I get so obsessed with it and cutting and cutting and cutting and, you know, you're supposed to weigh yourself every morning and, oh, it's just like, okay, well, this has gone up now, so we've got to cut this even more. Mm. It's fucked. And the first personal trainer I had, I was going to the gym twice a day plus an extra session when I had weight training with them. Yeah, I was anorexic again. But when my friend tried to say something, brush it off, mm. like oh, no, I'm just working hard or some shit like that. And we weren't on good terms by the end of all that with other shit, mm-hmm. so that wasn't pushed. So it's really, really fucking tricky. Mm. Like, I remember when I was in year 12 and I'd relapsed after the musical and a friend hugged me. She's like, oh, my God, I can feel your ribs. And I was like, oh, my God, I have ribs. Mm. Like, fuckhead, they're trying to help. It's really hard if someone is not in a receptive place with it. Mm. I was I was so aggressive and anyone tried to bring it up mm. even my therapist I, I found out from my mum that one of my friends in high school actually pulled her aside and talked to her about it because mm. she was really concerned but it's difficult when you're dealing with adults I guess it's more a case of just sitting with a person asking hey are you okay what's going on mm. and maybe going around it in that kind of way instead of you're looking really skinny, what's going on? Mm. But I guess, in yeah, in terms of someone who's... Like, relapse is always possible. Yeah. My biggest concern is, like I said, with the exercise, mm. it can get very compulsive at times in my head, but I managed to stop it. Mm. One thing that the exercise physi- physiologist did say to me, well, they, they have this thing where it's red light, orange light, green light, not dating, but... Um, in terms of mentally where you're at with exercise. So if it's from a place of compulsivity, from anything other than, I feel good, I want to do this, you have to stop and rethink what you're doing. And then you also have like a bunch of different activities that you can go do instead to take your mind off it. I now can tell, like I can hear that voice, like I need to go to the gym and then my body's like, no, please, I'm fucking exhausted. Yeah, nice. And so I can actually hear that now. Yeah. Because I think sometimes there may be a time where you're like, I need to go to the fucking gym. Mm. And then as a friend, I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's <just> loud. <laughs> That's very fair. Mm. That is very fair. But sometimes when I say that, I do think I get home and I'm like, I cannot be fucked getting out again. Mm. I also have a cap on... I do love running. I love running on the treadmill because I'm scared if I run outside, I'm going to trip and stack it. You can still do that on a treadmill. I feel like it's just more controlled. <laughs> like, you, it's just a flat surface and you have to, like, dodge dog poo and stuff like that. I suppose. 
Um, but it really takes it out of me. Mm-hmm. So I limit it to once per week and I have a cap of, I'm on the treadmill for half an hour and that's it. That's okay. including warm up, cool down. And I have days in between doing weights because I need my, my muscles to recover. Mm. Other than that, it's like, okay, well, I'll go for a walk outside. Yeah. Even that gets a bit, because you, know, you see those ads on the TV about 30 minutes of exercise per day. Mm. It's like, yeah, that's targeting an audience that don't really get to move much. Yeah. Not someone like me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, movement is really good. But if it's compulsive, it's just detrimental. Yeah. I think that's it. Like I said, I'll post some resources in the episode notes, but there are some Australian foundations that I think are really great. There's one called Inside Out, and they have a really comprehensive list of them as well. So the big one for me is the Butterfly Foundation, which I first learned at Sports Girl when I was about 15 because they they sold, like, these butterfly things to raise money. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. So they have a bunch of resources, people to reach out to, um, places where you can get help. The National Eating Disorder Collaboration is a really good one as well. And Raw, Reach Out and Recover. Nice. Um, and if you want more information at plus some worksheets on self-esteem, on you know what all this means to you, if you search for eating disorders in the Centre for Clinical Intervention, they have a bunch of great stuff to look at. If any of this has triggered you or if you feel like this applies to you or someone you know and love, don't just sit back. Mm. This can destroy lives. It can end lives. The amount of return visitors to hospital is alarming. And it's a fucking hard fight. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. But it's worth it. Mm. You know, even if you don't have hope anymore, have curiosity. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it becomes a choice. And that's it. Thanks for being alive. Thank you for being here for me. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Hope you enjoyed. Bye, Mom. Bye, Anna's mom specifically. <laughs>